I'm reading several different passages of Scripture today which I wish to call special attention. And by the way, I want to express my appreciation for the unusual response and attention to the message yesterday. I think it's a great compliment to the students that you are intelligent enough and responsive enough and have enough spiritual apprehension to follow the type message I tried to bring yesterday. Now, I'm not very hard to follow because I'm not scholastic and I'm rather practical. But yesterday I was tremendously impressed with the way the students, especially younger students, and, and some of the faculty commented on that went over the administration building. It's a tribute to your spiritual slant and spiritual attitude. So I want to express my appreciation for that. You know, when I get into so many buildings over this country to talk to groups of people, I get homesick to get back here where everybody seems to be interested in what we try to tell them. I hope you're as attentive in the classroom as you are at chapel. I believe you are. I have respect uh, enough for you to think you would be in the classroom, which is, of course, in a different setup from here. Now, I'm reading first some verses in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. I want you to notice it. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know it, thou art a teacher come from God. But no man can do those miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now that's the highest possible grasp of the human intellect concerning Jesus Christ, naturally. This uh, Nicodemus reached a very high plane there. He said he, he must be uh, from heaven. He must have come from God because he's, he's out of the ordinary. And the man that said that was a religious thinker. Now, Jesus said, uh, answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he be subject to the laws of nature and be born again? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I say unto thee, you must be born again. I'll stop there with the seventh verse. Now, I'll turn from those verses over to Luke and read the verses I read to you yesterday. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, by the way, I should have commented more at the word hate yesterday. If you'll take your commentary and go through the Bible and read about this word hate, it does not mean always animosity against somebody or bitter attitude of heart. It doesn't mean that. It's used a number of places in the Bible, and you love them less than somebody else. You love less. You would to love your mother and your father and your sister and your brother and everything less than you love Jesus Christ. You know, that's getting on a very high plane, isn't it? More than sweetheart, more than... Mother, more than father, as far as the will of his, uh, for your life, his will is supreme. He, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I said, if any man come to me and hate not his father, you might put it this way, and does not love his father less, you might say, and his mother less, his wife less, and his children less, and his own life less. He cannot be my disciple. Didn't say you couldn't go to heaven when you die. He didn't say that. Let's understand that. He said, but you cannot be my disciple. Now we'll go ahead. And whosoever doth not bear his cross. It's more than this now. You're not to 
just to love your mother and all these folks less and not even your own life less. But whatever he tells you is your cross, you take it up, not his cross. You can't put your cross off on somebody else. Somebody can help you bear your burdens, but your cross is something you have to bear. You can say to your brother, your friend, your sister, your mother, and somebody say, please give me a little lift for this burden. And the Lord told them to do that for you. But your cross is a burden that you take up that you don't have to take up, but you take it up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That cross might be a leaving a loved one at home to be a missionary somewhere in some dark place on this earth. Might be something else, but you take it up. You love him so much that there's no cross too heavy, no, no cross too crushing upon you, but you will to bear it. Now he said, uh, goes on immediately, talking about whosoever does not bear his cross cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down and count the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Can you go through? Can you do the job? said, lest happily, after he has laid the foundation and not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He started out all right, but he didn't stick. He didn't have the quality. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have it in him. He just couldn't stand, that's all. Oh, what a tragedy. You know how many people in this world have hurt the cause of Jesus Christ because they didn't sit down and say, well, I, I count the cost, I'll do it. They just went into it on the impulse of the moment and said, I'm going to do whatever he wants me to do. And, and they just didn't do it. And people said, look at her now, look at him now. I was in a certain city some time ago where there was a man there running an elevator that used to be a great evangelist in America. I rode up and down the elevator with an old man, feeble, running an elevator when he was years ago standing in the pulpit preaching. Went up and down this country's events. He'd better count the cost. It'd been better for him never to be an evangelist. Everybody told me that as a man was a great evangelist one day. Now he said, what king going to make war against another king? Uh, sitting not down first and consulted whether he be able with 10,000 to meet them that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and desireth conditions of peace. In other words, he said, I'll make up with it. I couldn't fight it through. I wasn't big enough to do it. And uh, I'll make up. I'll compromise it. And what do you want? And we'll get together on the day. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ here is not talking to people about salvation. Let's understand that. Now, suppose Nicodemus, we say uh, a few years before this, we'll imagine, had gone to Jesus and said, uh, I'd uh, like to talk to you. I've been thinking over, and you are very interesting to me. And you're so unusual and so unlike any of the teachers I've ever known. You must have come from God. <laughs> And Jesus said to Nicodemus, well, that's all right, Nicodemus, but the trouble with you is you lack something. You haven't been born again. You haven't in you that something that's essential. You can't understand, you can't apprehend. He didn't talk about cross-bearing to Nicodemus. He didn't talk about hardships. He didn't talk about building a tower. 
He didn't talk about a marching army. He talked about Nicodemus getting something he never had. A new nature, a spirit that would make him understand, an apprehension. The result of a new birth. Then after Nicodemus had come to him, we were supposed to, several years later, it had been one, that, uh, one of the crowd crowding upon him there. And I wonder if there hadn't been some of that, if some of those folks were not saved. There must have been somebody in that crowd going after Jesus that must have had a divine life. They, they must have been some of them born again. And he said to Nicodemus, now you want to be my disciple. Last time I saw you, you weren't a child of God. You hadn't been born again, and I explained that to you, and so it's all settled. Well, that's wonderful. Now, you want to be my disciple, Nicodemus, and I'll tell you how you can be it. You've got to love me more than you love the Sanhedrin, more than you love your church, more than you love your program, more than you love your organization, more than you love Dr. So-and-so that you studied on, more than you love the school you attended, more than you love uh, your mother. And more than you love your father. That is if you're going to be my disciple. Uh, I'm glad you're saved, Nicodemus, but that's not enough to make you a disciple. That's the second degree you've got to take. That's a higher plane on which you've got to move. If you're going to be my disciple, Nicodemus, you've got to be out and out. Not just saved, but out and out for me. Now, how about that, Nicodemus? Uh, Nicodemus, I wouldn't have you start out to be a preacher or a missionary or something else until you sit down and count the cost because you'll hurt my cause and my testimony and disgrace this thing. I want you to think this thing through now. And I want you to be know your mind and make up your mind. This isn't any little business. This is big business. How about Nicodemus? Say, there are millions of people that have known him that have never been his disciples. Now, you can't be a disciple without knowing him, but you can be knowing without being a disciple. Discipleship has something to do with wisdom that knowledge doesn't always take in. I've told you many times that wisdom is knowing how to use knowledge. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. Now, let me illustrate for just a minute. I do want to help you if I can, because this message is so important. And I asked God to help me yesterday today to say what I ought to say, because here are hundreds of young people who have a life to invest for God, and I want to help you. Now, let's imagine Nicodemus moving into the kingdom of God. He's in the kingdom. He walks down the street, we'll suppose, in this kingdom of God, particularly speaking, and he sees a library. And he walks in that library, and there's just one book there, and that's the Bible. He walks in there and opens that book and reads that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, who shall believe in him should not perish by everlasting life. Nicodemus says, I know that's right. He reads that Jesus Christ was a virgin born Son of God. He doesn't question it at all. He understands it thoroughly because. He's had a new birth himself. He had something that came down from heaven and got in him. He reads all those wonderful promises in the Bible and says, I'm sure about that. 
Why, the first thing you know when you become a Christian, you begin to love the Bible. These folks that pick the Bible to pieces are not right with God. Every Christian I've ever seen testified that the Bible became him a wonderful and new book when he was saved. He had knowledge, he had understanding. He appreciated everything about it. He, he was happy to read the promises, and, and they seemed so fair and reasonable and wonderful to him. That's apprehension, that's understanding. <coughs> Let's imagine that Nicodemus walked down the street, and there's a wonderful fountain. It's a fountain of blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all that guilty stains. You don't have to sell the blood to Jesus. These modernistic scholars that talk about slaughterhouse religion and ridicule the blood of Jesus Christ don't know God Almighty's love and don't understand. Now, you get that with a new birth and you get to learn it when you get to be a child of God. Let's imagine that Nicodemus walks down the street somewhere in the kingdom of God. We're just imagining now, trying to picture it some way so we remember. And he sees a schoolroom. And he walks in that schoolroom and said, I'm sure they must have a great many pupils here because this is such a, a great kingdom. And uh, I'd like to see this schoolroom here. And I know it'll be crowded. I don't know whether I can get in or not. And he walks in and it isn't crowded. He doesn't find over the door knowledge is power. That sign's not over that door. He walks in there and finds that the king is a teacher. And there's the king. And the king is talking to saved people about wisdom. Listen a minute. This school of discipleship is a school of wisdom. There's knowledge in it, but it presupposes this knowledge. And this is a school where disciples come to learn wisdom how to use it. Now let's move on over here just a minute. Let's suppose that a few months went by. We're not trying to give this in chronological order. Suppose a few months goes by, and, and one day uh, the Lord's going to send Nicodemus out. He doesn't send out every Christian. He sends out his disciples when he wants the job done. These folks that are acting the fool in this country are not God sent. I'm sick and tired of running to somebody everywhere I go that's acting a fool and telling everybody God told them to be fools. We are willing to be fools for Christ's sake. But there's no such a thing as Jesus Christ making a fool out of a man. God Almighty makes wise people out of fools when he takes them over. Listen, I'm tired of people going up and down this country and starting everything on earth and never finishing anything. country is full of folks like that. They started the tower and didn't finish it. They started the fight and didn't close it up and with victory. The reason is, they started a tower God didn't want them to start, or fought a battle that God didn't tell them to fight, 
or didn't get their wisdom from God, then we're not consecrated. You can finish any job God gives you to do successfully. You can build any tower God calls you to build successfully. You can lead an army to any battle and win any battle on earth that God puts you in. No disciple of God Almighty ever has lost a battle. Some of his children have lost battles. But they weren't disciples. The born-again one came to Jesus and enrolled in his school to be a disciple. Now, a disciple isn't a man that just knows. He practices what he knows. The disciples of John knew what John taught and practiced what John taught. The disciples of Jesus know what Jesus taught and practiced what he taught. If you're not practicing what he taught, you're not, in the Bible, says his disciple. Now, Jesus takes these disciples. He's going to send them out. Now, Nicodemus, we imagine, is one of them. And he said... Uh, Therefore said he, I say unto you, Nicodemus, the harvest truly is great, and the laborers are few. Nicodemus, you're my disciple. Pray ye, Lord of the harvest, and he'll send forth laborers in the harvest. Go your way, Nicodemus. Go on. I'm telling you what you're going to meet, Nicodemus. I'll send you forth as a lamb among wolves. But God's weakest lamb, marching under God's orders, is more powerful than all the wolves of hell. That's not there, but it's so. No disciple of God who went out as a lamb Ever went out to meet wolves and wasn't able to meet them. He said, now you need to worry about your living, Nicodemus, you're my disciple. I'm responsible for you. Don't be worried about what you're going to eat and so forth. You need to carry any person along. No script, no shoes. And don't waste any of your time, Nicodemus. Don't salute anybody by the way. This salutation will take too much time. You're not conformed to the world. You know, in this country, Nicodemus, they bow down and scrape and sometimes take a long time saying, Good morning. You're on business for the king. Don't fool away your time. Now, when you get into a house somewhere, Nicodemus, I won't tell you how to do. Say, peace be unto this house. You represent the Prince of Peace. You're not to go around stirring up unnecessary trouble. You'll have enough of it without looking for it, young fella. You need to hunt trouble. It'll hunt you. You don't have to go around and uh, deliberately be crude and rough. Walk into the house and say, Peace be on this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. 
You don't stand up with a godless crew of sinners and talk about the peace of God resting upon you. There's no peace except my peace. You are my messenger. And if my peace is there, you are safe in saying it. And in the same house, remain eating and drinking such things as uh, they give. If the food isn't quite up to standard, just don't gripe about it. If it's a poor house with a poor bed and the roof leaks a little, don't complain. You're my disciple. I didn't have anywhere to lay my head, you know, Nicodemus. My disciples fortunate to have a house and a roof. So don't be complaining and running around making up to rich folks. Just take what's coming to you. You know I'm sending you out. You're working under me now. You're getting orders from headquarters. And same house remain eating, drinking such things as they give. You're entitled to what you eat. You're entitled to a place to sleep. A laborer's worthy of his hire. And you know what the standard is? Having food and raiment. Let us therewith be content. Don't be saying I stand in and get a good job somewhere. Don't say the moderator or the president or Dr. So-and-so can take good care of you. I'm taking care of you. You are mine. My will supreme, you know, now, Nicodemus. You know, I told you you had to love your mother less than you love me. Had to love your father less than you love me. That is, if you're going to be my disciple. And I had to tell you something else, Nicodemus. Had to take up your cross. So just go on now, Nicodemus. Don't complain. If I sent you out and you got to that home and that's the open door... Don't spend your time looking for another open door to a house that's more comfortable. I'll put you where I want you. Now he goes on and tells them other things to do. He gave them special power to do. I'll stop here. The Lord Jesus Christ always gives power to his disciples to do what they ought to do. Anything you ought to do, you can do. You ought to be a missionary. All right, you are not fit to be a missionary if you love your mother better than you love Jesus Christ. You are not fit to go to Africa if your sweetheart's more precious to you than the will of the Son of God. You are not fit to stand up and preach if that will of God isn't supreme. You're just not fit. There's only one thing that you will ask of God if you're a good disciple. And that is, where do you want me to go? What door have you opened for me? Everywhere I go, preachers are saying, Dr. Bob, if you find an open door somewhere, I'd like to have a better place in it.
Listen to me. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, surrendered to him completely, and love him more than you love anybody else, and are willing to take up your cross like he told you to, he'll always find you the right place. You don't have to be carried in ecclesiastical arms or poor wires either. And when he hasn't got a place down here that's the place he wants you, he's been up in heaven 2,000 years fixing you a place. You know, as I've been disturbing this discipleship, I've been getting under conviction. You know, uh, no wonder we are in a mess in this country. No wonder chaos has overtaken us. There are very few of the people of God that ever meet these standards. What do you need? You need wisdom to use the knowledge that you have in order to do the job he has for you. Wisdom. That's what you need. The school of disciples is a school of wisdom. Oh, there's knowledge there, but you can have all of that and never matriculate in this school. How many men I know that know so much but have such poor judgment and so little wisdom and act so crazy and do such foolish things and make such a mess everywhere they are. You won't make a mess where you go in God's sight if you're his disciple. Oh, you won't make the headlines everywhere. But if his will is your will, You'll make the headlines in heaven, and you'll be a success. By read over here in James. If any of you lack wisdom, any of whom? James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren. That's Christian people. That's Christian people. He's talking to them. If any of you Christian people uh, lack wisdom, and I know plenty of us that lack it, you lack wisdom? He said you don't have to lack it. You don't have to get along without it. Plenty of it for you. And you can have all you need to do the job. Any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men, uh, breathe not, men liberally, a generous God, puts more blossoms on a fruit tree than he can bear, puts more stars in the sky he can find, throws away the beauty of a day, so beautiful and yet throws it away on a world where millions of eyes never look toward the east. Liberal God. 
Get you two lungs when you can live with one. And two eyes you get along with one. He's a liberal God. And the God that's liberal with everything else is liberal with wisdom. Don't act a fool. He doesn't get tired of you asking for it. And upbraideth not. Liberal God upbraideth not. You need some wisdom? Ask it. But now wait a minute. You won't understand the basis on which you get it. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. <laughs> For he that wavereth is like a waveless seed driven by the wind and tossed. If some of you started out for God Almighty to gave you the wisdom, somebody on the street would talk you out of it for tomorrow morning. You wait. Wait. The wind of sentiment blows and you go that way and then it changes and you go that way. God doesn't give wisdom to fools like that. God Almighty has it in store up in heaven inexhaustible wisdom that he can give you to do what he wants you to do. Wisdom. He said, but let that man, that is what kind of man? Don't let that man think he's going to give it to him. What kind of man? Wavering man. Comes to Bob Jones University one semester and meets somebody and tells him you ought to go somewhere else next semester. God, let me hear you say. Some fella blows a little wind at you. Wind up somewhere else. What's that about your hands on the plow handles? You look back. You are not fit for what? You are not fit for the kingdom of God. A lot of people in this country think God's using them when he isn't using them. He just doesn't use people like that. You may think he's using them, but he isn't. Now notice, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man. What is a double-minded man? A man that says, thy will be done, O God, and means it now. And tomorrow he says, I want my way, my way. Self pulls us this way. God pulls us back. Pride pulls us this way. God pulls us back. Sweetheart pulls us this way. God pulls us back. Preacher pulls us this way. God pulls us back. We just wobble one side of the road to the other. Just stagger all the like a drunk man, stagnant over here now and over on tomorrow, just stagnant. Young people, I've seen very few men and women in my life that were disciples of God. They're not many. They are all right till the battle gets hot, and then they make peace with the enemies. 
They're all right till the pressure gets on them. Then they... Suppose Paul had to yield to a pressure group. Suppose Enoch had yielded to a pressure group. Pressure. If you are double-minded, you may get to heaven by the grace of God. You have to have the grace of God before you can be a disciple. But it takes more than just grace to make you a disciple. It takes everything you have for God. To save you, it takes all God's goodness for you. To be a disciple, it takes everything you have for God. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to be from now on? Double-minded? Staggering? I walk up and say, Lord, I'm your child. I've been born again. I love you, Jesus. I've loved myself too, but I'm sorry. Sometimes I've forgotten you because of the pull of somebody else on my life. But Jesus, from now on, your will's mine. You are Lord. You are boss. Why call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I tell you to do. In that day, somebody say, Lord! He said, I've never been your Lord. God has a will for your life. One of the preacher boys came yesterday to see Doug Steno. Said, I've come clean with God. I wouldn't be surprised if God isn't calling some of the rest of us. Young people, at the best I have much longer in this world. I've told God recently as I never told him before. All I want for my life is his will. I've stood on this platform this year to preach to you as I've never preached in the history of this school. I'm not interested in the big school. I'm not interested in the glamour of a great school. I'm interested in a good school. We have approximately 1,100 young men studying for the ministry. I'd rather have ten of the right kind than a thousand and ninety, no good. There's never been a day since Jesus Christ went back to heaven with the assurance he is coming again when the whole wide world needed uncompromising, consecrated, fervent, sane, Christian leadership like it needs today. I hope God will help us produce some of them 
or train some up in Bob Jones University. And I hope you will be the kind that will make the sort of surrender. So God can make a disciple out of you. God's looking for folks today to do a job. And he's got a job for you. But he won't trust you with it unless you put him first. I've got just one proposition to make to you before we go out of this room. I'm not going to make the next one. I'm just going to make this one. How many people in this auditorium know, know that you've been born again? Just a moment. You know your sins have been brought out. You know you've been saved. You know you have regenerating grace in your heart. You know that. Stand up where you are. I'm not going to ask you to do the next thing. Or at least say you're going to do it. I'm going to leave it you with you and the Lord. I want your heads bowed, though, and your eyes closed. I'm going to let you talk to your Lord in your own heart today. Blessed Jesus, I can't speak for anybody but myself. I've made a mess many times. There's nothing about me that I can boast about. But I sure can boast about what you've done for me. I'm willing to tell all the world that you're all right. And I wonder sometimes how you ever use me at all. But I thank thee for any little service I may have been able in my poor little blundering way to end. But I want to tell you today, Jesus, out of my own heart. Whether I live long or whether I die soon, whether Jesus tarry, whether he come quickly, I do not know what's ahead of me. None of us know what's ahead of us today. But I want to stand here this morning after this message I've given to others and tell you, if I know my heart, I mean this. Whatever you want for me the rest of my life, I want. What you want for me, I want for me. What you want me to do for you, I want to do for you, if I know my heart. I do want not want to look for the road that's popular or easy. We are thinking, our Lord, that in this building there may be some of us here who are on some foreign mission field or somewhere else may have to really suffer and maybe some of us die in these days of crisis <coughs> for the Lord Jesus Christ. But help us all to know it's better to die for him than it is to live like most people living for nothing. And have thine own way from now on. With every one of us. We can't say it though, Jesus, for the others. We can say it for ourselves. But help everybody here today to say it for himself and herself. We sing the song over and over. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. Have thine own way, Lord. And we've sung it until we don't even think about what we're singing. But help us in the silent moment with our heads bowed to say with our own hearts, I tell you, Jesus, that today in my heart. Out of this hour today, when we get to heaven, out in eternity, help us to find the results of this hour, results that will last forever.
Out of this hour could come the greatest victory that this institution's ever known. This one hour. Help us to be faithful and true. Never wait. Never wait. Never be double-minded. An eye single to the glory of God. Oh, Jesus, please keep this school like that. Please do, Jesus. Keep it like that. We pray in thy precious and wonderful name. Amen.